Hello, this is Jake Watkins. I'm the Young Adults Pastor at Cross City Christian Church, and welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk inspires you and encourages you into anchoring the love and power of Jesus into your daily life. Enjoy the message. A few years back, when I first met my wonderful wife, McKenna, uh, when we were dating, I learned something very quickly about her, and that is she was a big Apple Watch person. Um, She never went a day without her Apple Watch or having her Apple Watch on. Like, she always had her Apple Watch on 24-7, and I was like, that's very interesting. You know what I mean? Like, we'd get dressed for a nice dinner, and we started going on dates, and she would to be in a dress and had the Apple Watch on. You know what I mean? Like, no matter what she was doing, she had the Apple Watch on. It was like a, it was like a statement. I was like, that's cool. She's like really into technology or something. Well, a little later on, as we were dating more and more, uh, we got to the point in our relationship where, you know, we're um, sending our texts throughout the day and we're calling and little, you know, little things like that. And then there'll be times, like these stretches, periods of time, where like three, four, five, six hours go by and I'm not getting a response, which is fine. She's got other things going on, but the, the problem was she would text me with, oh, sorry, I didn't see this. I was like, what do you mean you didn't, you didn't see my text message? She's like, yeah, I didn't see it. I was like, you're wearing an Apple Watch. You get every notification. I was like, how do you not see it? Like, are you just like straight up like trying to lie to me to like make me feel better? And you just didn't want to reply in that moment? Like, what's the deal? And then I realized this. Her Apple Watch is not always charged. Sometimes she wears it for full days at a time and it's dead. Like literally dead, no battery. I'm like, why, what do you, why are you wearing that? It's just a black screen, you know? And I asked her, I was like, why, why, why do you wear that when it's, when it's dead and it has no battery? And she's like, well, you know, it's just a cute accessory. Like, just, I like it, just accessorize. Kind of, it's like a statement, you know? I wear it if it's charged, I wear it if it's dead. I was like, that is, that is weird, okay? I still like you, but it's weird. And then one day, we were getting ready, and I think we were going to a wedding or something like that, and I was dressed really nice, and I was like, ooh, I'm gonna put on my fancy watch. And I go grab my fancy watch out of my watch case, and uh, it was dead. The battery had died, and I was like, oh man, but it looks so good. So I put it on, and as I'm walking out the door, and I check my wrist, and I realize, oh yeah, my watch is dead, I'm like, I am just like my wife. I am literally wearing a watch that doesn't work just as a statement because it's an accessory to me. And for some of us, our faith has become an accessory. For some of us, our faith has become just for show. And it's not functioning like it should. And through this study of the book of James, we've established that you and I want a faith that works. Not a faith that's useless, but a faith that has function. Because a functional faith is going to be the driving force behind living the life that Jesus is calling us to live. A life greater and bigger than we can hope for. And and James writes all about having a functional faith. So I want to look what he says, uh, I want to look at it again, what he says in chapter 2, verse 14. He says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? 
And he gives this illustration. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James, in his writing, as I read the book of James, I really see that James is hitting his stride. He started it off kind of slow. He's writing to this church, this early church, persecuted church. He's really concerned about their faith. He wanted their faith to have function. So he's writing this letter. I really feel like he's really hitting his stride by chapter two. He's not just giving us practical steps for a faith that works, but he's also calling out faith that doesn't. He calls a faith that doesn't have works dead. He says it's dead. He goes so far as to to ask, how could that faith save you if it's dead? How can a dead faith save you? If If it's not working right, then it's pointless. It's useless. Is it even real? That's the question he asks. Is that faith even real? He even takes it a step further, and he pushes it right over the edge. And in verse 24, James writes this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. He says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. We have to tackle this verse first tonight. Because if you take this verse for face value, if you read this verse, what you read is that it's your works that save you and it's not your faith. When you read this verse, James is saying, it's, it's, it's not what you believe, it's what you do. And that's interesting because Paul, the author of Romans, he says this in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Keep this up here. I don't know if you see the tension here. James says, you see that a person is justified by works. And then Paul says in Romans, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works. Do you see the tension in these verses? James says a person is justified by works and not by faith. Paul says we're justified by faith and not by works. So which is it? I mean, is it works or is it faith? What makes us right with God, works or faith? How do we enter eternity with God? Is it faith or is it work? I I mean, I just preached a few weeks ago that good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. I preached from this stage about a month ago that it doesn't matter what you do in life, you don't get into heaven because of how good you are, you get into heaven because of how good Jesus is. That it's your faith that justifies you. But Paul says faith saves, and then James clearly says it's your works. So did I lie? I mean, did I preach a blatant lie from from stage? How how do we reconcile these two verses? I mean, it appears to be an obvious contradiction. One verse says it's your works. The other says it's faith. It seems to be an obvious contradiction. And I'll tell you, if it is a contradiction, then this is the end of this church. And it's the end of Christianity. Because if there's a contradiction in the Bible, that, that means it, there, there's something inherently wrong with Scripture, which means that it's not from God. 
And if it's not from God, then this whole thing is, is pointless. It's useless. Church is over. <laughs> but the Bible has been around for centuries with these two verses in it, and yet Christianity is still here. How? See, a, a council of church leaders came together at one point with these writings. They authenticated them, and they bounded them in the same book. These two verses in the same book, are, are they complete morons, or did they see something that we didn't? Take a step further, and we know that James and Paul lived at the same time, on the same planet, in the same region, at the same church, and they knew each other. They didn't just know of each other. They, they had a personal connection with each other. And they just didn't have a, a personal connection, but they knew each other's teachings. And in the book of Acts, chapter 15, there's a council in Jerusalem led by Peter, James, and Paul. And the council discussed this very issue. What does it take to be right with God? What does it take to be right with God? Particularly, what does that mean about faith and works? And they discussed it. And James and Paul, they came away together with a consensus. In fact, Paul in his letter in, to the Galatians says that James extended him the right hand of fellowship. He said, we're good. We're cool. They reconciled these teachings. How? How do we understand this? How do these verses work together? How do we reconcile these? How do we settle the tension in these two passages? And what it really comes down to is a word problem. It's an it's a, it's a issue with words. See, sometimes the same word can have different meaning. Um, I'll give you an example. The word rock. Rock can mean a stone. It can mean a type of music. It can be a compliment like you rock. It can be an action like you rock in a rocking chair with your baby at 3 a.m. because she won't go to sleep. It could be the name of a person, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. The same word can carry different meanings, and usually the context of the word in the sentence is what determines the meaning. So uh, how do you know when I say rock and I'm meaning a stone or I'm meaning music? Well, you put it in the context of the sentence. It helps determine the meaning. The same thing happens in the Greek language all the time. There's a Greek word... Um, Zealous, it's zealous, and it can mean zeal like a good thing, or it can mean jealous like a bad thing. And all depends on the context. And so I want us to look at the word justify in these two verses in the same way. You can put those two verses back up, and they both have the word justified in there, and you can look at them the same way. So, in one sense, justify can mean to justify something, would mean to make it right. To justify something would mean like to make it right. So like if I had credit card debt and I had a lot of debt and I had creditors on my back and they wanted me to pay it off and, and, and I needed to get it done. If I paid off that debt, I would justify the situation. I would have made that situation right. That's the first kind of justify. On the other hand, to justify something could just be to prove that it's correct or to prove that it's right. Like if you came to me and you said, hey, Jake, I know the best pizza place in town. I'd be like, prove it. 
prove that to me. Justify that statement, okay? Because I think I know the best pizza place in town. I would ask you to justify it, which means is that you're not going to make it the best pizza in town. You're just going to prove that it's the best pizza in town, right? You're either going to like pull up all the Yelp reviews or you're going to have me taste it and see. I, I, I don't know what it is, but I'm asking you to validate that claim. You're not making it right. You're just proving that it's right. Why do I bring this up? Because I want to argue that Paul is using the word justify in Romans. He's using it in that first sense. What he's saying is that for we hold that one is justified by faith. What he's saying is that we believe that God justifies. That he makes us right. That in a moment, God declares you are justified. He makes us right. It's finished. It's done. Nothing can change that. You are righteous. You are made right with God. You are justified. Not anything you say or do can change that, but through the saving work of Jesus on the cross and through the resurrection, your faith in him justifies you. You are justified. God makes you right. That's what Paul is saying in Romans. And the funny thing is, is that we think James' contradiction in that, in that verse. We think that James is saying the opposite. He actually doesn't contradict this. He supports it in his teaching. In, in James chapter 1, he says this, of his own will... God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, God, through his will, by his deeds, made us right with him, not by our actions. He isn't contradicting Paul. He is supporting Paul's teaching. James, in chapter 2, verse 22, 24, James is using the word justified in the second sense. That your works show or prove a faith that is already there. You are made right through faith. You are declared justified. And then your actions prove or justify your faith. Look what he says in, in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I think there are people who are treating works as like some sort of spiritual gift. They're like, okay, no, 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 I have faith and you have works. Like, you know, like the parts of the, the, the Christian body, you know what I mean? I got this kind of spiritual gift, faith is my spiritual gift, yours is works. And like people were trying to like separate that or something. No, 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 no. God doesn't want people to separate the two. See, works don't make you right with God. Jesus does. Faith in Jesus does. But then when you're right with God, works accompany that. They go hand in hand. They're, they're in tandem. And what God wants us to see through the writing of James is this. This is your first fill-in. A faith that works proves it through action. A faith that works proves it through action. James says, show me your faith apart from your works. Prove your faith. Prove that your faith is real and functional and tangible without actions. Show me how it's real without actions. You can't. It's impossible outwardly to show your faith works without the actions to prove it. 
And James has an amazing, great illustration in, in verse 14 when he says, imagine that you see someone in need and they don't have clothes to keep warm or food to eat and you come up to them and you're just like, ah, oh, man, that's a bummer. Good luck. He says, that, that's useless. That's you. Anybody can do that. The difference that should be in you is a faith that works itself out in action. Why? Because you're supposed to see things differently from the view of Jesus. You see a need, realize that God has placed you in a time and place to do something about it, and then you actually do something about it. That's what he means when, I say, when he says, I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, what I do and how I do it will show you that Jesus is in my life. That he's saying the proof is in the pudding. You hear that expression? He's saying that the proof is there. You won't have to ask me about my faith because you'll just see the evidence. You won't have to, to guess. You won't have to ask because you'll be able to see it by how I live. James is saying if, if someone has to ask you if you're a Christian because, and they can't tell by your deeds, you've already lost. Your faith is already useless. It's already dead. See, J James wanted the early church to, 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 to live in a way that people would just be able to recognize it. He wanted the early church to have a faith that was alive and active, not a faith that was dead in the water. I think a lot of you know that recently... My life has been way more chaotic. My house is a mess 24-7, despite my wife's best efforts to keep it clean. We have a five-month-old baby, and we have two dogs. All girls, a lot of estrogen going on. Uh, but we got a uh, golden retriever uh, about a year and a half ago. And so she's a year and a half, and she's still buck wild. All right, chaos, chaos. And there's a lot of things I didn't know about dogs. Because I never had dogs as a kid, all right? And so, like, I, I started really bad habits with both the dogs, feeding them from the table and from the countertops, just feeding them anywhere. And my wife is like, look what you created. And I was like, I didn't know I was creating that. I don't know the rules. I never had dogs. Never had dogs as a kid. Uh, what we did have, though, was um, we had pet goldfish. We had pet goldfish a couple times. <clears throat> and I'll tell you a story about the first time we had pet goldfish. We were really excited, my sister and I, she's a couple years younger than me, because uh, it was the first time we were having pets and we thought a goldfish can be just like a dog, it's just in a bowl, right? And so we picked out the tank and like you got the big tank cleaning unit on the side that kind of goes in the water, filters the, the water, we got rocks in the bottom, we got a little plant, we got like a little castle, like a little treasure chest, you know, we decorate it, you know, classic, classic goldfish tank. And then my sister and I put our goldfish inside the tank. And it was a great first day, a great first day. Um, second day comes around, and my sister comes to my room, and she says, hey, your goldfish is sleeping and won't wake up. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, yeah, she's just like, she's just there. It's like, okay, so I come over to the, the bathroom where we kept our goldfish tank was in the bathroom of the counter because we had this long counter with two sinks. And I'm like, oh, yeah, she's sleeping. And she was like under the filtration system. And so I'm kind of like tapping the glass. I'm like, wakey, wakey, you know, like rise and shine. And I tap in, a couple harder taps. And she's not moving. And so I, like I hit the glass and her lifeless carcass just lazily floats to the top of the water. And I realize 
my beloved goldfish was deceased. <laughs> so not long after that, we had a goldfish funeral. And she went fleshy, fleshy down the toilet. And my sister's response was, well, at least it wasn't my goldfish. <laughs> Until a day later, <laughs> and I am not kidding, she comes in, she's like, my goldfish is asleep too. <laughs> and so uh, in the American sewage system is where they both reside now. And it didn't take us long to realize that uh, her goldfish didn't die of a broken heart and mine didn't die of some disease. But through a simple conversation with my sister, we learned that every time she passed the bathroom, she would feed the goldfish. <laughs> not a little, like, not like a little pinch, but like, not a snack, like a feast, dude. Like, she was like, oh, we thrown a party and would like sprinkle that stuff in the tank every time she walked by because she was like, that's just what you do. And we were like, oh my gosh. Those goldfish ate so much that their intestines literally exploded on the inside and they died. And goldfish don't stop. They're like, food, eat. That is their, their that's their, they have tiny brains, okay? Goldfish are not very observant when it comes to that. That's what happened. They literally gorged themselves until they were dead. Why do I tell this story? Why? Because I'm afraid that our churches are filled with too many people who only come to church to fill themselves up and soon their faith is belly up in the fish tank. Why? Because they never put into action what they were learning. Filling and filling and filling and filling and never expend expending. Your faith isn't only about you and what you attain, but it's also what you do with it. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? See, there's people out there who have the knowledge of faith but never use it. James is saying, I, I see you. You know what you should be looking for. You recognize the need. You saw them. You saw they needed clues, clothes. You saw they needed food. You recognize that. Your faith informed you of their need, but you did nothing about it. You just gave them empty words. He says, what's the point of that? That's useless. Wow, Jake. James is a little harsh, don't you think? Like he's being a little judgy if you ask me. No, I think he's being real. Because James sees something larger than just self. He recognizes that the world has a need for Jesus, and Jesus is filling that need through you and I. And the reason why action is so important to accompany faith is not only does it prove that your faith is there, it also proves that Jesus is working. Your works don't just prove that your faith is there. It proves that Jesus is working. Through you, he's going to fill a need. Why would you do something like that? You know what? I just felt led by Jesus. You know what they see? They don't just see a nice person. They see Jesus showing up in their situation. Your faith isn't only about you. The works isn't only about you. But what Jesus wants to do through you for someone else. 
See, that's what James is trying to say. And I think James, he establishes one of his most important arguments for a faith that works when he says this in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me a faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Listen to this. Listen, this is so important. Verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Man, see, after reading this, I can really feel James's sarcasm come through his writing. Like, I can really see it. Oh, you believe in God? Yeah, that's great. You believe in God? Whoop-de-doo, bro. Even the demons believe in God. That's what James is saying. Oh, oh, that's nice. You have belief? Yeah, the demons see him. They believe too. Just because you believe God exists doesn't make you any different from the enemies of God because demons believe he exists. They know he's real. They know his power. So what separates us from demons? What is the factor that separates you and I as believers from the demons who also believe in God? What makes us any different from the enemies of God? It's this. Demons know God and they hate him. We know God and we love him. That's the difference. Demons know Jesus and they despise him. They hate what he did on the cross. They cannot stand it. But we as believers, as Christians who have faith that works, we see Jesus and we embrace him. We love him. We call him Savior, Messiah. Let me put it another way. A faith that works loves Jesus. A faith that works loves Jesus. Real faith, tangible, working, functional faith is a faith that loves Jesus. So how do we show Jesus that we love him? In John 14, 15, Jesus makes it really, really, really simple. He condenses it down to just a few words. He says this, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if we look to Jesus and we say, Jesus, we love you. I love you, Jesus. He say, hey, if you love me, then keep my commandments. Oh, Jesus just wants us to be rule followers. No, 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 no. He says, keep my commandments. Just keep my commandments. And it's not about rules because his commandments can be summed up in just a few words. You can take all his commandments and sum them up. Jesus does this. He sums them all up and he says, this is my commands. Love God, love others. It's that simple. Love God, love others. He says, those are the two greatest commandments. He said, everything hinges on those two. Any other rule, command, anything that you can think of, you can put in one of two categories, loving God and loving others. He says, it's that simple. If you keep those two things at the forefront, if you follow those two things, I will know that you love me. Our church mission statement is love God, love others, serve the world. Because we believe it can be that simple to be followers of Jesus. And here's where it comes full circle. Is that love is more than words. Love always shows itself through actions. 
And when it comes to loving God, and you're personal, that first one, when it comes to love God, the love God portion, when it comes to that, sometimes that's very inward relationship, very personal relationship with God. And that will manifest itself. Loving God may mean to, to remove all the bad things out of your life. We talked about that a few weeks ago. You may need to do a cleanse. You got to remove the filth and the dirt that's like messing up this relationship. The thing that you know that God's saying, hey, don't be messing with that. I have something better for you. Just put that aside and walk where, I, walk where I'm leading you. And you know God is telling you that, but you're, you're like still walking down this path. Put it aside. Maybe that's what you got to do to show God that you love him. That's part of loving God. And that, that sometimes is inward, but the outward evidence that we're talking about tonight is the outward works that will prove your faith. And that is how you love others. I recently had a hard conversation with my wife. I have a lot of stories with her because I'm with her 24-7. So, uh, but I, low-key, she would say high-key, failed. All right. It... it <laughs> I was just not loving her like I should. And she tried to tell me. She tried to hand out. She tried to say, baby, I'm just not feeling loved. And what I heard was just, I'm ungrateful for everything you're doing. That's what I heard. And I started listening. I'm like, what? I do this and this and this? And she says, no, 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 you're not listening. I'm not, I just, I don't feel loved because I would like to feel this way. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm doing this so you should feel loved. And what happened is I pushed back because I'm like, no, I'm doing these things and you should feel loved this way. And I wasn't listening to how she actually wanted to feel and be, felt and, and be loved. See, a lot of times we do that with God. Well, God, I, I'm doing this. Well, God, I'm going to church. Well, God, I'm part of these Bible studies. Well, God, I'm, God, God, God is like, no, 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 no. You're missing out on a big, big portion of how you love me, and it's how you love others. And when it came to my wife, man, it took me this moment where I just realized, like, man, I haven't been listening to what she's actually saying, and I can do better by loving her through actions in the way that she wants to be seen and felt and loved. And I'll tell you, our relationship really improved after that. In fact, I didn't even realize kind of where it was because I was so concerned about self. And, and it's, a, it's the same way with Jesus. And we got we to see how, how does he want to be loved. And it's loving him and loving others. And so in your relationships, at your jobs, in your schools, are you loving others in a way that is going to point them to Jesus or would Jesus be embarrassed if the people around you found out you're a Christian? How well are you loving others? How well? What is that example? What are you proving by your works? Because here's the deal. We're all doing works. It's just a matter of are you doing good works or are you doing bad works? You're doing works every day. You're doing works with your actions, with your mouths, with, with what you text, with what you post. Like you are doing works at your job, when you talk bad about another coworker behind their back, but in their face, you're smiling. You're like, oh, you're doing great. You're doing works. What is your action saying about how you love and about how you represent Jesus? And if someone today at your work, at your job, at your school found out that you were a Christian, would Jesus be embarrassed about it? That's a hard, hard question to think about. And I've had to think about that many times. I remember when I was working my first job out of high school, I was working at Ulta Beauty. And yeah, I worked at Ulta Beauty. Okay, 
I was a manager when I left, but I didn't start out as a manager. I uh, Assistant manager, okay. assistant to the regional manager. Anyway, um, I was working in the back room uh, when I first started out, and I was like organizing all the stuff from the shipment. So we'd unload shipment boxes, and we'd like just put it on shelves. And I remember talking to this guy, and I was just like going off about this stuff, and like I was just like yada 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 yada. And then he, he then he asked me. <laughs> I remember it was like we, it was like weeks that I'd been working with this guy. He goes, "Do you go to church anywhere?" I was like, I. Oh, uh, and I was like super embarrassed because I knew for weeks I hadn't been being a good example with my words and my actions. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I didn't really own up to the fact that I went to church every week and I was a volunteer all the time. And he goes, well, I would like to really invite you to my church. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this guy really, he's like, he thinks I'm so messed up that I need Jesus and he's inviting me to his church. Like, he's like, this guy needs Jesus so bad that, like, I'm going to convert him. I'm like, dude, I had a hard conversation. Like, no, I'm actually a Christian. He was like, what? In that moment, I knew I had messed up so bad that this guy didn't even think I knew about Jesus. He was inviting me to know Jesus. I should have, I should, from day one, he should have known that I went to church. That should have been something we connected on because of how I act how I loved and treated and talked about others. He should have known. Am I living in a way, that's what I have to ask myself all the time, am I living in a way that when other people find out that I'm a pastor at a church, that I go to a church, or if you're a volunteer at a church, or if you come on Sundays, or if you just claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, are you living in a way that Jesus would be embarrassed if people knew that you're a Christian? Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, this is Jesus saying, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, sometimes we whittle down our faith to how holy we can appear when we're in church or how long and mighty that our prayers can be or how many Bible studies we can jam-pack in our week, but none of that shows a faith that works. A faith that works loves Jesus and loving Jesus means loving the people that Jesus loves. And that's not just the easy people to love, that's the hard people to love. That's not just the boss you get along with, but the boss that you can't stand. That's just not the good professors, that's the bad professors. That's not just your friends, it's your frenemies, it's your enemies, it's your exes, it's those aunties and uncles that you don't wanna talk to, it's strangers that you meet. You gotta love them how Jesus loves them. That means putting your faith into action. Not just praying for others, but checking in on them. Not just seeing a need, but filling it. And I, I wanna challenge you today. James is challenging you today. Jesus is challenging you today to have a faith that is alive and active. Be the evidence of your faith and the love of Jesus in this world. Be that evidence. See, I think we can turn the, just the whole tide of how the church is viewed 
in this country, if, if this generation can go from a, a faith that just sits in a pew or a faith that's belly up in a fish tank, man, if we, we, just, if we just came back to God and focused on him. Because I really wonder, I, I wonder, if, if people are poking their heads in on the weekend and all they see is floating fish at the top of the water, they're not, they're not seeing Jesus. And they're going to look elsewhere. If we can change that and be real followers that love others the way God has called us to, I believe we can change how the world views Jesus, not just Christians, but Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just thank you for a mighty word, God. This is such an amazing passage. And God, it could be so hard-hitting. God, because we have to look inward and look at how we're being, God. And sometimes there's things that, that get highlighted that we need to fix, Lord. And I just pray that we wouldn't feel condemnation, but that we would feel your grace. God, that we'd be able to change things and walk in your love. That maybe yesterday we weren't the best example, but God, moving forward, we can be. So God, I, I pray that you give us the courage to live out a faith that works, that proves a faith in us. God, and that proves that you're working in the world. God, that is my prayer for this group, for this church, Lord. God, I just pray that you bless this time, that you bless this time of discussion groups as we talk about how this can be seen and worked through in our world today. And God, we just give this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning into AnchorCast. I pray that you take this word and that Jesus transforms your life in ways you never thought possible. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. And of course, follow us on social media at Anchor Nights to stay up to date with all of our events, meetings, and uploads. Thanks again for listening and may God bless you.